Our guest today is Sir Lee Pearson, the most successful Paralympian horse rider of all time. He's been carried up the stairs of number 10 Downing Street by Margaret Thatcher, knighted by Prince William, and even helped Mum overcome her biggest fear. He did. You did, Lee. And we're going to talk we'll about that. We'll get into that. We'll get into Oh, we absolutely will. It's so, so good to see you. Thank you for doing this. And can we take you right back to when you were a wee tiny baby? Because you write about this in your in your book. And what a book that was. Goodness me. I, I really, I started reading it. And you know that way sometimes you just think, I've got to keep going with this because I, I, I need to find out. I need to find out more. And it was like you were, it was like you were talking to me. Do you know what I mean? It was like you were actually in the room speaking to me. And you talk about when you were born, and the book is called I Am Who I Am, of course, but you talk about when you were born, you were put in a broom cupboard. What on earth was all that about? I know, and I'm only 48. I say only 48. Sometimes my body feels like 98, but my brain's still feeling about 18. And, uh, yeah, you would think that uh, 40, 50 years ago, things like that wouldn't have happened, but uh, my body was so deformed and the nurses didn't know, A, if I would live, and then B, um, how to tell my mum that she'd, um, I was born by cesarean, that, that her baby was severely disabled. But uh, I still think it was the wrong, the wrong judgment call. Because um, not only did they put me in a broom cupboard, they, they sedated my mum for three days. I thought it was just two days until about 10 years ago when I actually started the book. And I said to mum, can you just clarify the things I can't remember when I was too young? And she said, no, it was three days that they sedated sedated me for. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't put in a lovely private room or even a ward. I was put in the broom cupboard with literally kind of metal beds up, um, lent up against the wall, mattresses up against the wall, and mops and buckets, and, uh, and me and a little, little cot. It's extraordinary, Mad. isn't it, when you think about that? It's, did they just leave you there thinking, well, you know, if he survives, he survives. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Was it like that? It's something that I'm really interested in because I do believe that they they must have fed me because I don't think a newborn baby, I think it would have, it would have lasted that long and I think it would have been even more criminal if they hadn't. So um, I'm presuming I was bottle fed. That's perhaps another thing I'll have to go back to my mum and mm-hmm. my mum and ask, really. Um, I know my dad saw me a few hours before and uh, before my mum did and uh, he didn't know what to say to my mum um when he met her but obviously uh, he or she he either told her or the nurse said that she got a live baby so i i said to my dad what well, what did you say he said i just told your mom you've got slightly blue legs because uh, i didn't know what to say um which was understatement of the century really because my right foot was up right around my left knee my, my left foot was up right around my right knee my arms were totally twisted inwards uh, along with my shoulders um Separate to my actual disability, half my face was a birthmark and I had a birthmark on top of my head as well. And when I started to put the book together, I said to my mum, anything else? But, uh, and she was like, oh yeah, you had a hernia as well. I was like, God. blooming neck. Is there any, was there anything else? She was like, no, that was, that was it. And then, um, yeah, um, quite traumatic for my mum. She was put in a wheelchair and... Uh, pushed to the ward and all she can, well, pushed to the cupboard, a broom cupboard, sorry, not the ward. And all she can remember is that there was like people walking behind her like professionals to, to gauge her reaction. And uh, so she knew that probably what she was going to see wasn't going to be great because there was a reason that I was 
put in that broom cupboard. Um, so she kind of made the decision to uh, put her brave pants on and not react badly because in case that just encouraged the powers to be to not let her keep me. Um, so and she opened the door and there was a, a cot that was at the back of this room and yeah, she removed the black, tricky breath, removed the blanket and... Uh, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, but I said, what did you What did you think? She said, I thought, uh, S-H-1-T, with, <laughs> with, with the mild thoughts going. No, you're allowed, you're going allowed to swear. So she just basically said, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, that's... Yeah. It's ex- yeah. Yeah, and then picked me up yeah. because she just knew that if she didn't, uh, maybe she wouldn't, and then maybe she wouldn't see me again. So, yeah, picked me up. And, um, and in her words, not mine, just said we were going to give you the same opportunities as your two able-bodied uh, older brothers, really. Mm. Um, and we kind of all ran with that a little bit, you, that theory. You do wonder what if, you know, what would have happened if your parents weren't so loving, actually, and weren't so determined that there wouldn't be any difference between you and your two big brothers. You know, there was yeah. that determination, and obviously that affects you because the expectations are exactly the same mm, definitely um there's nothing wrong with my brain like later on in my childhood we fought to get me into a mainstream school because i was at a special a great special needs school but there was uh, children with uh, psychological and mental issues as, as well as physical issues and i'm just answering all the questions because um i don't know what it is with people with arthrogryphosis which is what my condition is are quite quick at thinking and quick at yeah. problem solving because when your brains can work, brain works normally most of the time, um, but your body doesn't, you've got to be a bit of a problem solver. How can I not, not, oh, I can't do that. It's always a case of how can I do that, which then stems over into the sport and love of horses and how can I train that horse? How can I turn a potential bad moment and a bad day with the horses into a good one? Um, I always call it the baked bean scenario. So my, kitchen isn't adapted and Lorraine's face is now very intrigued <laughs> so how do I reach the baked beans when I can't even reach the cupboard door well you turn your crutch upside down you open the cupboard door with the bottom of your crutch you you wiggle the beans to the edge of the shelf you place a, a cushion where you think the beans are going to fall <laughs> and you, you knock the beans out of the cupboard and hopefully they land on the cushion you grab them and even if they hit the floor it doesn't matter is just about to open them anyway. So it's the baked bean scenario, I call it, is the, is the how can I scenario. And if you take that into life, then you put less limitations on yourself. Hmm. I don't I mean sound political, less limitations than society sometimes puts on yourself as well. No, absolutely, because you're right. People have got that attitude of, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the head tilt, you know, the kind of, oh that kind of mm. attitude and that's never been a thing mm. in your family which is which yeah. is brilliant and i and i still have it in my 50s so basically i took my class 2 hgv so i could drive my horse box big yes. which is bigger than a seven and a half ton but then we receive a little bit of funding towards education so i decided to take my class one which is arctic um um uh, articulated massive lorries um and um and not many, or if any, disabled, severely disabled people have ever taken it. So when I was at the training, uh, no, at the examination centre, when we were speaking to them, they said, well, we have policies to enable disabled people to do class two, mm. but we don't, we don't have for class one because no one's ever done it, I think. And I was like, well, 
okay but what you have to do all the hydraulics in the air at the back of the back of the cabs which connects to the trailer you to pass the exam you have to physically do all of that so I can't climb up the ladder, so I took a hydraulic lift that helped me get on the horse. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and I said, right, I can I can get to the back of the cab. I can plug in, and they were like, um, okay, you have to do that because that's within policy. And then they said, well, what happens if you have an accident? How you, if you have a leg up to get in the cab? How are you going to get out the cab? And I said, well, do you have a policy that dictates? Um, it's going to stop me from doing that. And he went, well, no, we don't. I said, well, there you go then. If you have a policy that it dictates, I have to climb up to the back of the cab to connect all the air and the hydraulics and everything, but you can't make up a policy that says I can't drive if I have to have a leg up to get into the cab. And they were like stuck for words. So basically what I'm getting at, I turned their, their, ang- turned their policies around onto themselves because they were going to try and stop me because I couldn't originally do all the air and the hydraulics um, and we overcome that um, by quick thinking and then they tried to turn it on the head that um, that uh, that I, maybe I couldn't take the test if I couldn't get in out of the cab unaided and I said well have you got a policy to, that actually specifically says that and they were like no I said well, there you go there then. you go there, so, I mean, there's always a way fighting in the 40s yeah, yeah. Fighting <laughs> in the 40s. no there's always a way um, and we're interested aren't we about, about riding and how that all starts yeah I want to know about um, how you got into to horses and there was a, a pony that you got for Christmas how old were you when that happened yeah well it goes back before then uh, I was eight years old when I got a pony but I'd had riding lessons for a few years at a local riding school but even before the riding lessons everybody else had a BMX bike now, I, my balance was good, so I could push the bike to the top of the hill, jump on and roll down the bike. But because my legs were encased in plastic and fixed, I couldn't pedal a bike. So I did have a bike originally with no pedals. And um, and then uh, my dad got a donkey from the local farmers. So I, she was my hairy BMX bike, Sally the donkey. Um, so that was my first kind of a bit more regular time sat in the saddle. But we have a canal through the village of Chettleton where I was brought up, the Golden Canal. And um, there used to be a shire horse pulling a barge and dad used to chuck me as a toddler on the shire horse when it was pulling the barge and things like that. So, yeah, I always loved horses and, um, and I love them to this day, just watching them eat grass on the lawn or in the field. It's not just the competition side that I love. In fact, that's probably my least love. I love training them and I love being with them. The competition is like going to work, really. Uh, if you leave me with my horses in Marina on my own, that's my happiest uh, place, really. Um, so, yeah, I had lessons and then mum and dad bought a pony, but like some parents, they were a little bit too early and that pony um, got the judgment of me that I was pretty rubbish as a child. Well, crap, I was crap. <laughs> Um, and when I speak to the media, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear that I, I sat on an equine and the, the heavens opened and the birds tweeted and it was an amazing <laughs> experience. And I was, I don't know, I was winning, winning medals when I was eight years old. I was like, no, I was absolutely, I wasn't quite as petrified as you were, Lorraine, when you visited, but I wasn't <laughs> far off. Um, and um, so it was more in my teens um, when I started to ride with a local competition rider who was... Um, a school teacher in a day job and um and she just took no prisoners basically i know she has a heart of gold but she was very very stern very old school type and she 
drew the horsemanship out on me of me and and even if she didn't quite believe that I could do things she never let on and um, that just gave me a lot of confidence but I was riding still riding club locally against able-bodied riders and whilst I from school um, got a YTS with the co-op and uh, I was in an office job for six years but I um, I absolutely hasty and 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 became depressed uh, actually on Prozac and um and then as I said before I fought to get out of a, a special needs school into mainstream school and after doing that I led a I I I I became quite ignorant of disability and then and then from that I became quite phobic of other disabled people because I'd fought to not be labeled as not 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 labeled as a disabled person but basically be very independent, which has basically been as able as I could. And I thought any connection to anybody with a disability was a backstep, really. Um, so, but I saw the Atlanta Paralympics on TV. I'm in a, a career that I absolutely hate. I do joke that I'm allergic to paperwork, which is a joke, <laughs> but I am actually allergic to horses and that is official. Is that really true? Um, because we couldn't yeah, believe that. that. When I read that, I was like, no, impossible. <laughs> Like how? Yeah, I take antihistamines. I get a runny nose, blocked nose. If I touch my eyes, uh, I used to wear contact lenses before I got lasered. Um, then my, my eyes would be all bloodshot. And so, yeah, I am. I am allergic to horses, but um, allergic to paperwork and uh, more than horses. Which, <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely more than horses. And antihistamines don't work with a, a paperwork allergy, and. Um, and I saw the Atlanta Paralympics on TV and I saw that they had dressage and I'd never done dressage before. Uh, I thought originally it was a very boring sport with horses going round in circles. Um, but um, long story short, I inquired, I eventually got assessed and they couldn't believe my severity of disability, but my raw horsemanship. And um, I started having the odd local dressage lessons, then I got the opportunity to have a dressage lesson with one of the only Olympic judges in Great Britain called Stephen Clark. And he saw my talents way before anybody else did, really. Um, my actual core seat is your bum in the saddle, as well as being very effective and quick at making decisions of what to adjust with the horse, what not to adjust with the horse, uh, etc. But it's also how supple your pelvis is in the saddle that even if the horse is walk trotting cantering or misbehaving you just sit there in balance and you don't make a drama out of the situation you try not to fall off and 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 and, and, and then you'll feel as i said before um racing drivers have great feel good racing driver you feel the car as opposed to somebody saying take that car around that bend at 70 miles an hour if you feel you can go faster you would and if you feel that it's too fast, then you'd slow down. And, and, and riding is about feel as well. You feel the horse's joints. You feel every part of the horse's body. I can literally feel if the horse just licks his lips down, down the rein. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I can feel if one back leg is maybe moving a little bit more or moving out of sync a little bit. I can feel the muscles in the back. I feel the rib cage. I feel the breathing. Um, a lot of the things that would have been exaggerated when you when you sat on the uh, Lorraine, yeah. because you your 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 senses were so heightened that even Zion's breathing was petrifying to you because mm. you were like everything's petrifying right now. So 
it's like that. And sometimes I'm scared of being on the horses in different environments, going just about to go into a, an Olympic arena, Paralympic arena, or if the horses are feeling a bit fresh and you, and, and you feel that, and then you've got to kind of calm yourself even more because of what you're feeling. So, yeah, my feel was really good. And then um, I went to... Um, to Australia in 1999 to do an international and I went to the world championships in 99 in Denmark I got selected for the Sydney Paralympic Games and Sydney was a borrowed horse competition it was the last oh, one of its mean? kind really so that means um, because our sport stems from let's say riding for the disabled where people go to a center and ride a therapy horse and then maybe lucky enough to compete them um, or not. Uh, a lot of disabled riders didn't have their own horsepower, so the venues had to supply, or the countries had to supply the horses to run a competition. And uh, once again, kind of in layman's terms, you go, you fly to the country with your riding gear, you pull a number out of a hat, so that number's matched to a horse, and you pray that you get on with oh. the horse. And then if you do, you have an hour that day, an hour the next day, and then the, the, the third day you you would compete that horse for your country, and that's what I did in Sydney in 2000. I had a few more days at Paralympic Games. It was about four four days training and getting to know a horse, but you could only ride them for welfare issues mm. up, up to an hour hour a day. And um, this this Stoke on Trent lad from nowhere, 24, 26, something like that, um, won triple gold. Yeah, yeah, um, that was the start. But it, what if you got a different horse? Uh, yeah, a horse that you say you didn't get on well, with. Well, yeah, my horse wasn't the best in the pack and he wasn't the worst. He was, he was a really nice person, but he was a pure Arab, which are, are bred for the desert and racing and endurance, not normally typically dressage horses. But once again, I, um, I was this cocky young man and believed that we could, um, along with his owners, which knew him inside out, he was just a riding club horse. We we tweaked him and produced him and and then and then and then won gold with him. So once again, that story in its own right it was a fairy tale. Absolutely, um, I love you called him a person. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's good. That's good that you guys. Yeah, they are people. <laughs> they, they, are. they are. They are. You've you've given me a whole new, a whole new outlook on on mm. horses that I never I never thought I would have. Now. Um, Rosie and I were so interested in the fact of what happened to you when you were tiny. Yeah. So as a toddler, you were tied up to straighten out your, your shoulders. Yeah. But your your mum had to do it. Well, that must have been very horrible for her to do. But were you too young to kind of know what was going on? I have flashbacks of the operations that I have. My memory is terrible. And uh, most of my life, even the successes which are... are uh, we'll probably talk about later, but um, yeah, I have flashbacks and I have flashbacks of a lot of pain and and, and crying a lot. Um, the operation that you're talking about specifically um, to get my shoulders to rotate back, my mum had to tie me, not only tie me up, but she used to have to tie me to a crucifix. What? And, um, wow. Yeah. And uh, and it was one of the, it's one of the times where I can easily get sweaty eyes because people say to me, "No, Lee, you're an inspiration." Blah blah blah, and I don't I don't absorb those lovely compliments really because I don't absorb negativity either. Do you know what I mean? If people are, are upset by my disability or or offends or whatever, um, but yeah, when your mum was probably 
um, the same age as I, my first Paralympic Games. I think she was something like 24, 25, 26, something like that. And she said, you you could, obviously, I was a toddler, I could speak, and I would just look at her in the eyes and say, please, mommy, please don't do this to me. Mm. And to have the strength, being a parent and a mum, to then have to tie your your toddler to a crucifix whilst he's crying and looking at you saying, please don't do it, yeah, I can't. That's where my strength often comes from, the strength of my parents. That, mm. that, 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 that's where they show, my mum particularly in this scenario, shows their strength mm. that um, they had to do what you have to do. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes in life, uh, it hurts. It probably hurt my mum more oh, than it hurt me. It would, it absolutely um, would. You can imagine um, it would be so hard. Um, and, I, and I can't imagine hurting your own child. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Obviously... We're probably going to go on. I'm, I'm a, I'm a parent um, now um, through through different means, and I, I can't imagine having to hurt even even for the benefit. I can't imagine hurting a child like that, and, and definitely not your own child. Um, so, yeah, my mum would have had to have been very strong. But I went through many operations. My legs were completely broken and reset, um, and I remember um, my legs were were cast totally spread like a triangle with metal bars holding them out two metal bars across but the castings went right up to um my hips and i remember being carried thinking that your legs were so heavy with all that cast and metal that they were going to drop off it was going to pull off at the, at the hips really um and um and then yeah just normal kind of also as well as operations i went to the real sun center and my mum said to my nan, I'm going to let Lee go down this slide, let him go under the water and then pluck him out. Don't stand in front of me. But my nan was a panicker, so she jumped in front of me and both my legs um, smashed and broke completely. Ooh. I remember screaming real sunset down. Um, so lots of battered and bruised bones, but it, 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 uh, it molds you into the person. But when you fall, when I do, I don't want to talk negative about horses, you know, <laughs> the way, but when you do fall off horses, then I do, I do have a list of accidents that, are, that I have, including being airlifted by uh, Midlands Air Ambulance from, from Mum and Dad's field. Much to Dad's excitement, he was there with a video camera because he was so excited he had a helicopter Such in the a field. dad thing. Not concerned about that oh, I'd just passed out. That's yeah, a that's real, a real dad thing. Um, so, yeah, those operations were very, very painful, but, um, but for good at the end of the day. Mm. And there's a phenomenal picture of you and Margaret Thatcher outside 10 Downing Street. How old were you when that happened? I was six years old. And, and that link was because my dad's auntie, Auntie Gladys, um, believed and thought that I'd been through so much as a child that she nominated me for the the women's own, the woman's own. Do you remember the woman's own I magazine? Do yes, the women's own children of courage, wasn't it? The children yes, of courage. It was a big deal, huge big deal. Yeah, twelve children got um, received awards, and uh, my auntie, my dad's auntie, nominated nominated me, and 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 I and I, and I won an award for that. So, mum and dad never told me anything about it. I was six years old. I remember being in the bath, and mum came in one evening with this. Um, I joke it wasn't, but I, I joke, it's goddamn awful brown velvet suit. <laughs> and I was like, 
<laughs> and uh, thank God the photos are in black, black and black white. And white. <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> no one will well, know. Well, I'll know now. And, uh, and then they said, we're going to London tomorrow. You're going to meet the Prime Minister. And uh, and I was more excited that I was going to go in a black cab because oh, yes. I'd never been to London. And I'd only ever seen black cabs on television. And I was more excited about that. And, um, and then... Um, and I do remember once again flashbacks of this. One of the opportunities was to go to number ten, and I had twelve children for whatever reason. Margaret Thatcher looked at my dad and said, uh, "I'll carry Lee up the stairs." And my dad said, "Oh no, he's like it's very awkward to carry. He's like carrying a crab with his legs splints <laughs> and awkward arms and everything." Your dad. And, um, and my dad <laughs> and Margaret Thatcher said, "I think she gave my dad that stern look." Oh, that look. And she went, I will carry Lee up the stairs. <laughs> there would be no and, argument. Uh, and she did. She carried yeah, up the stairs. You know, we were talking about your book earlier on and how um how honest your book is. And you do talk yeah. about the fact, you know, when you had to when you had to come out, when you had to tell your mum that you were gay and then your mum had to tell your dad. And was that yeah. something I mean, that is it's such a hard thing to do. You know, you, you do have to kind of, I think, build yourself up to that and you don't really necessarily know what the reaction's going to be. Um, mm. and, it, and, it's, and it's tough. I mean, you, you, you know, you talk about that in the book. You talk about there's real pain there, you know. You went through a lot, a lot of pain and anguish. I find questions about coming out quite interesting because it's often people think, how did your family take it? How did your work colleagues take it? How did society take it? But I think everyone always should take a step back that what I tried to get across in my autobiography was the people to understand how I dealt with it yeah. because mm -hmm. I don't want to be a disabled man. Now, that's nothing against my disability. It's nothing against being disabled, but I didn't want to be a gay man or a bisexual man or a pansexual man, whatever label we want to give it. I wanted to be a straight man with... A wife and children and I think if people can perhaps understand how difficult the journey is even before you start having the the bravery and the guts to tell other people and that was that was my worst journey although there was it was horrific when I came out and I had all those fears that you discussed Lorraine about um having someone mom who then had to tell my dad um and then to other family members, um, the hatred, and it is hatred for yourself, actually gives you a, a, eventually gives you a numbness that it doesn't really matter what other people think. And, I, and that's harsh, maybe, if you're thinking family, but it also sets society. You get to a stage where you've been through a process of hating yourself. For me, and I'm talking um, 20, 30 odd years ago, um, I couldn't have hated myself. Nobody else could have hated themselves more than I hated myself. So you have to learn to love yourself. And I know that's a bit of a cheesy statement, but you do have to learn to accept yourself and, and love yourself because then uh, as traumatic as it is telling family and friends, you, you, if you haven't killed yourself, which it was certainly um, thought processes that I'd had, um, then you actually you you have got to rock bottom where people say you've hit rock you, you you have to hit rock bottom before you come up you've you've you hit rock bottom in 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 these feelings that you don't want to have and these emotions um 
and then you can start moving upwards and then through that process of moving upwards is, is then having the bravery to tell people yeah mm. it is it's 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 again in this sense you are a trailblazer because you you know you've 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 taken your sport in an amazing direction i know you don't you don't like being called like <laughs> a trailblazer and things like that or or an inspiration or any of these things but you are you you really are and that's another aspect of your life that's really helped an awful lot of people and there's another aspect isn't there you're a dad you're a dad yeah <laughs> of course <laughs> and listening about your parents you yeah. must be an incredible dad I can't talk because he's in the kitchen next to me, so he's just going to hear everything. He's actually trying to do a silly dance in the corner of my eye and to try and distract me. But yes, uh, a few years ago, I became a dad. Uh, it must have been very painful for the lady because I popped a teenager, you know what I mean? Um, um, and then that's certainly something that I've, I, I've wanted to do for years. Um, not saying having my own biological children was out of the question but it was probably not going to happen and I probably thought about it for about 15 years or so but I've never really looking back because sometimes you don't actually know how you think and you thought and why you didn't make the decisions and why you did make the decisions but but looking back I just wasn't with the right partner or partners at the time to want to share the experience and I know that may sound a bit selfish, but I think it was also related to not wanting to muddy the waters on how you do treat people and certainly treat a young person uh, or a child living living in your home. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm a bit bullish that I, perhaps I, want, I wanted to be the one to, to make those decisions. I, I don't like the grey area. I feel like people that you're around and uh, the, 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 it's better to be black and white. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And and I wanted, and I do, the, the house rules are pretty, pretty black and white and I'm quite strict. But at the same time, I'm, I feel I'm very loving and, 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 and although Jensen will probably disagree with this now, I'm quite fun-loving and quite a laugh. And we, we have a laugh with Jensen and, and now... Um, as of just before Christmas, we have another family member also. Um, my godson came to came to live with us. So that was a few psychological challenges because uh, Jensen and me were, uh, had kind of settled to family life as it was. Mm-hmm. So we had to, um, lots of conversations about, about that and, 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 and us both having to accept changes really. But... Um, it's certainly, uh, it's probably bigger now in my life than the horses, really, um, because it is 24-7. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but I love it. And, uh, and other people say, I'm, I'm, I'm not bad <laughs> as a parent. What do you say? He's nodding his head. He's nodding, he's nodding, nodding his head. Good. That's pretty good. <laughs> to get that yeah, from a teenager, good. to get a nod of a head from a teenager is pretty good going, actually. <laughs> Normally yeah. it's an eye roll, so I think a nod is good. Mm. I would be very satisfied and happy with, with that one, that's for sure. Um, we end each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret and win. Ooh. So... We will start with Gosh. fail and then we'll end on a high note. Yes. So it doesn't have to be a huge No, it could be anything. It could be anything. It could yeah. be the baked beans just missing the missing the cushion. Mm. You know I so don't fail with that. No, you? no. You know I, <laughs> I, I'm... It was only if it hit the floor, it would, be, would not be a problem. I didn't say it did hit the floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> 
My biggest regret is probably not taking up swimming because it would have been a lot bloody cheaper. And all, all I would have needed <laughs> yeah. was bloody smugglers. I wouldn't even need flip-flops because I would have been rolling along on an electric wheelchair without my leg splints on, a towel and goggles. And that would have been, been a lot. That would have been it. <laughs> I've always loved motorsports. I have had a, odd conversations with different people and mm. there's a few disabled motorsport teams. And once again, back to feel, I think my, the, 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 the gift that I was given with feel on a horse would, would, tra- would transfer to, 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 to cars as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm not too old, but you cannot do everything in life that you want to do. I think my biggest regret, because we, we, we've obviously talked about coming out, is that I think being allowed to be, be labelled gay and I know that sounds really weird because that has changed people's lives. And, and I think it is an up yours to many countries around the world where, you, where gay people uh, and LGBT people are not accepted. But um, as an individual, um, I do get uh, young people coming to me and, 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 and discussing coming out and, and, and the struggles they, they have with that. And, um, and my advice is don't label yourself don't become a label don't feel that that where you're feeling is static if you let's say are feeling you're attracted you're a man and you're and, and attracted to the same sex don't feel that that has to stay that way if you you allow feelings for a woman if you if you so choose do you know mm, what i mean absolutely and i think as i get older um and when we were younger the, the, there was less categories let's put it that way um but as I'm getting older, there is more categories and you don't have to be a category, but you can just be yourself, whatever that be. And you don't have any justification to change. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think that's a little bit of a regret that, that I am known as one of the only gay, gay, out gay athletes in the world. I have no problems with that, but um, I think sexuality is a bit more complex it than, is. than mm, sometimes it just is. those hundred percent labels absolutely um, yeah so there's a little regret and then what was the third statement what's biggest win win getting on a horse in the first place mm. people would think it would be gold medals but um it is probably probably getting on a horse in the first place because uh, i tell you now if somebody walked on my driveway with my severity of disability, I don't think I would let them on my, on one of my horses. So I think uh, I would. That's me being a bit facetious. Uh, but yeah, I just think if I'd never got on a horse, I wouldn't have uh, an amazing lifestyle. And it is a very busy lifestyle, and it is blood, sweat, and tears. But I feel lucky most days that I wake up with this beautiful view, looking at my ponds and my chickens and my ducks and my dogs and the rears and the horses and. Um, that would never have happened. I would be, I probably would have committed suicide with that office job and depression, to be honest. So I think my biggest win was just getting on a horse in the first place. That's a fantastic win, mm. isn't it? That is a fantastic win. Mm. I love that. Well, it's taken, it's taken me around the world, meeting amazing people and giving me amazing opportunities, like speaking to you guys today. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Lee. That was, thank you. That was perfect. It was absolutely wonderful to talk to you.